At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella Lumicure, the world messenger, and I'm inviting you for another epic episode of Legacy Leader Show. And I am super thrilled to introduce you to this amazing, powerful woman that is absolute mover and shaker. Things that she accomplished are astonishing. In such a short period of time, when everything when is happening at the same time, Ukrainian war, um, running Ukrainian community center, running her business, extremely obviously important business in realm of finance and strategy and business and operation. And she also, it's my fellow graduate from Denver University. She graduated from Denver Cobbler School, which is phenomenal education of international studies. And if you guys are not familiar, you wanna check that out as well. Master in economics and policy analysis, and MBA in finance. I mean, this woman is super wicked smart has amazing huge hearts and is true delights to have her with us today. She found the time as she's running also and helping her fellow Ukrainians to survive and also thrive in times of most challenging, challenging times. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Larissa Raphael. Larissa, welcome. Thank you so much, Isabella, for having me. I'm excited to be here. Truly, it's a privilege. Likewise, I can't tell you, it's like just more and more discovering about you, how amazed I am and how it's so beautiful to see a woman, uh, first generation or second generation American. I'm, I'm confused. Uh, first generation, first uh, born in America. My mother was born in Europe and my grandparents escaped World War II. Wow, what a, what a history. And someone who made it so much of that opportunity. And just so you guys know, all these schools and all of the different programs that I was mentioned earlier, are very difficult, not only to get into, not only because they're also extremely expensive, but they're insanely demanding. And I, how do I know? I, I'm telling you, I used to know some of the professors there and, and they were always making their students to get the best education. And she not only did that, but she also did MBA in finance. Okay, <laughs> woman in finance, I bought to you. How did you get into finance? Well, it was, it was a kind of an uncomplicated decision-making process, I think. When I was studying for my uh, master's degree in international economics, I was contemplating earning my PhD. And I saw a number of people go through comps and I said, well, that doesn't look very much fun. And then uh, I thought about the fact that I was afraid of public speaking and the idea of getting up in front of a classroom every day and talking terrified me. And so that's why I decided that uh, probably a PhD in the academic route was not for me. I also didn't have a particularly creative idea at the time for making a contribution to the field of international economics. I 
thought that there were much greater minds than mine out there uh, that could do that. So I, I decided to get my MBA in finance so that the private sector um, would find me interesting. I think the international economics degree probably would not have been enough to get my foot in the door in the technology space. Wow. And guess what, guys? She's using all of that amazing accumulated education and knowledge in times of most challenging events that we're seeing happening today. Could you please share a little bit about that? Sure. You know, it, I, I've had that thought myself, actually. So it's interesting that, that you brought that up. When, you know, as I have thought about my career and, and my particular life's path, um, I really have not until now in my life arrived at a moment where all of this becomes highly integrated. You know, I now get to leverage all of the work that I've done in international studies, along with some of the more practical uh, financial skill set that I have in order to serve Ukraine and the memory of my grandparents. And, and such a history. And, and sadly, both of us are from Europe, former Yugoslavia, you know, former Soviet Union, and now this independence of our own countries, Croatia and Bosnia Herzegovina, and then Ukraine. And now we're seeing when that freedom, after so many historic events, not only decades, but hundreds and hundreds of years, mm -hmm. again being jeopardized. Could you please share a little bit? How this feels, honestly, as being first-generation American and, and seeing how it's possible to coexist and, 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 and thrive, and then now seeing that such a rich and beautiful culture is jeopardized to completely be dismantled and destroyed and distinct. Yeah, it's really been tragic uh, for many reasons, you know, aside from the, the very active genocide that's going on and the atrocities that are being committed. Uh, when I contextualize the events for myself personally, I have gone through, you know, going through the 70s and the 80s and seeing the Cold War and the strength of the Soviet Union, all the way through to, you know, participating very actively and being a first generation Ukrainian American and going to Ukrainian school and becoming fluent in the language and participating in the Ukrainian activities all of my life, there was a period there where the idea of Ukraine was just that, it was just an idea because it was all controlled uh, by the center, by Moscow. And then when independence came, to see that happen was just, we never thought it would happen. We, we, were, we were too young, first of all, I was, I was a teenager when that happened. Uh, but then once it did happen, it was fascinating to see the joy in the Ukrainian community. I traveled uh, around the time of independence, just before independence when sovereignty had just been declared. I traveled with my grandparents who were part of the um, Ukrainian Medical Association and we, flew to Ukraine and landed in Kiev. And I saw people who had escaped the communist invasion step off the plane and kiss the ground. Literally on hands and knees, kiss the ground. And in that moment, I realized that these people have spent their entire adult lives in the United States trying to build Ukraine from the United States. And so in their lifetimes, they went through escape 
to independence. And that independence, I think, was largely achieved by Ukrainians in Ukraine, but I think that the diaspora definitely helped. I mean, I saw how much work my grandparents put into the community. And so for me to now go back to having all of that be in jeopardy, it's just a complete insult to, to the life's work of not only my grandparents, but every World War II Ukrainian who escaped to the West and, and not only invested in Ukrainian infrastructure in the United States, but worked very hard for independence of Ukraine in the lead up to 1991. And now all of that work is in, is in jeopardy of being completely erased. And so when I get out of bed in the morning, I, I wake up and I'm, I'm securing not only Ukraine and, and trying to help people survive these murderous intentions, it's honoring the work that my family did their entire lives in support of their homeland. It's a responsibility. And I, you know, you can't walk away from that. Wow, such a powerful share and such a contrasting perspective for everybody watching and listening that we really need to understand. And, and thank you so much for sharing that because you're spot on. We have opportunity also at this very, very moment to do something that is right and what is meaningful and what matters the most, which in our mind is the human life. And everything that every every nation and every group stands for, right? And 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 specifically the ones that are being under horrible oppression and under horrible circumstances. And 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 I love that you boldly address elephant in the room. This is a genocide. And for someone who experienced genocide in former Yugoslavia and someone who has been on genocide, global genocide platforms uh, and coalitions and taking action on that. If it's too painful to hear it, imagine what is and how it is painful to experience it. And what are you going to do about that? Well, it's, you know, I think that, you know, there are different paths that you can go down, right? But the, the yeah. very first path is the information path. It's getting the information out there. So this is not Ukraine's first time around the block with genocide. Let's start there. The Holodomor and the murder of 7 million Ukrainians in the early 30s was deliberate. Stalin and his five-year plan required that Ukrainian farmers collectivize, and if they don't, that they would have their grain taken away and that their families would be murdered. They murdered 7 million people. The bulk of that murder took place in Kyiv and east of Kyiv. When those people died, they got replaced with what? Russian-speaking people. And so when we, when we confront the language question, we're not confronting a language question, we're confronting a social engineering question. But here's the greater point. After that murder, after that genocide of 7 million people, there were never any Nuremberg-like trials. Nobody from Russia ever answered for what they did. Mm. And today we see grain being blocked at the ports of Ukraine. We see grain being stolen and sent to Moscow. 
you know, there's a statistic out there that says that during the course of the 75 years of the Soviet occupation of Ukraine, 70% of Ukraine's economic output went to Russia. 70%. Wow. It's, this is looting on a grand scale. And Isabel, if we compare to the genocide and in, in the ethnic cleansing in Yugoslavia, Milosevic at least had to answer for something. At least somebody went on trial. Yes. Here, everyone's getting away with everything because there's this tremendous fear around Putin's ability to leverage his nuclear arsenal, which takes me to the topic of the Budapest Memorandum. The Budapest Memorandum was an agreement that was signed between Ukraine, Great Britain, and Russia and the United States, that in exchange for its nuclear arsenal and its enriched uranium, that they would give up their nuclear weapons in exchange for protection from the West. That's not what they're getting. They had a deal. And today, when I hear people say, well, how, how are these refugees different from Syria or Afghanistan? Well, they're the same from a human perspective, but those countries didn't have a deal. If Ukraine had still had its nuclear arsenal, you and I wouldn't be talking today. We wouldn't be talking about the mass murders in Bucha. We wouldn't be talking about the rape of children. Yes. So the, you know, the, the geopolitical issues here are tremendously complex. And there's not a lot of desire from what I can tell, either in the United States or in Europe for that matter, to do something about it, which positions us for one thing and one thing only, and that's to repeat history. And that is so heartbreaking and I'm so glad you are depicting and then showing why we cannot ignore this and why justice needs to be served and why we also need to prosecute, why we need to stop allowing and tolerating and accepting for greater gain or whatever political agenda, social economic uh, gain we're looking for. We, can, we can't do that anymore on the shoulders and on the black of our beloved communities and our 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 humans and 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 a for sake of humanity right mm -hmm. and and that's why people don't understand it's not just because it's in heart in europe or it's because uh you know we are both from europe that this matters it's 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 just so much of the it matters because it matters what is going on right now in 21st century it matters because we would know better and when we know better we should do better yeah Exactly. And, and quite honestly, one of the things I've talked about in um, my speeches, how ironic, I'm doing a lot of public speaking right now. Maybe I should have gotten my doctorate. <laughs> um, You're doing the, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so the, one of the things that I talk about in my speeches is accountability. And so you have, you know, initially you had this school of thought out there it was Putin's responsible. I rejected that in its entirety from the beginning. The amount of responsibility here is, is large and it's highly distributed. 
And humans don't like highly distributed. Humans wanna put the X on somebody's forehead and say, they're to blame, it's their fault. There are a lot of pieces to the accountability situation. And it's, it's a matrix almost. You have the United States, you have Western Europe. They, they own a piece of this problem. You have Putin, you have his government, and you have the Russian people. Yes. And I lay the blood of every Ukrainian soldier, every raped woman, and every mass murdered set of bodies. I lay those at the doorstep of the Russian people. Why? Because there are 144 million of them and they consistently have a track record of not holding their government accountable. Enough. From the Tsars to you know, the communists to now Putin, the Russian people have been tolerating this for hundreds and hundreds of years. It has to stop. And I don't believe for a minute that they don't know what's happening. 300 years ago, when there was no internet, Ukrainians didn't need a computer to tell them that they wanted democracy. Ukrainians have always known that they want democracy. They just happened to lose a few battles along the way. So I think it's just important to realize that there are a lot of owners of this problem and there's not enough demand, I don't think, in the world for people to step up, take ownership and actually do something about it. I love, again, how profound and clear you are in delivering the truth of understanding this complexity for broader global population that is really having a hard time understanding what is happening and why. And I hope all the great listeners uh, that are listening and watching are having better understanding and as a result, taking better action. How can we transform this mindset? How can we um, urge or, or, or act and create this rippling effect for that change to happen, Larissa? You know, I think it's, I think it's going to be uh, an information war that gets us there. If we can, through various internet sources, get the word out, I think that will help. I think that ultimately, though, we have got to press, pressure Western governments to me, be more bold in their, in their decision-making and in their choices. There, is an, there are several inevitable outcomes here that I can't necessarily speak to, but I think that there are some really smart people in the State Department, in the Central Intelligence Agency, you know, in MI6, who, who can articulate what some of the very tangible outcomes are going to be if we don't act, right? So for example, people are already talking about the food shortage and the rippling effect of that food shortage on African nations who are now in their fourth year of drought. Yes. You know, we, so we, we have a set of problems that we have today we also have a set of problems that we know are headed our way. And in the same fashion that we watched those tanks build up on the Ukrainian border and we did nothing, and myself included, by the way, this is one of, that's one of my takeaways from this whole process. In those two and a half weeks that we watched on CNN, how the tanks were piling up on the Ukrainian border, no one did anything. 
the Ukrainian Culture Center in Los Angeles could have been doing things for those two and a half weeks to prepare for the invasion. And we didn't because we didn't believe it was going to happen. But the point is, is that we know the problems today. We know the problems that are headed our way. And I'm not clear on how government resources and international influencers are preparing for that. We in that I think that that that's a conversation that is worth having. Maybe not at our level, maybe at another level. But it, it those those future problems aren't going to be solved with the same type of inaction that we're seeing today. So, for another example, is the fact that countries, for example, Germany and the United States, have stepped forward with funds and weapons like 10% of the commitments have made their way to Ukraine and to the front lines. It's been weeks. So it's like the, it's like the PR of the governments is, oh, let's just put this out there that we've made this commitment, but then there's no accountability on the back end. What was the outcome of your commitment? Did it get executed to? Who's holding them accountable? So I, I'm addressing a lot of issues all at once, I realize, but it's sort of, these are the thoughts that are going through my head. I'm glad you are actually, because we also need to address those elephants in the room. And it is a great opportunity, not only to get educated, to get reminded or re-educated of information and what you believe and your belief systems. And then at the same time, also called everybody accountable because we have to, that's only way path forward. That's what's really legacy leadership all about. It's not just the letting others know what you like them to hear with no supported action and execution on that action. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And we have to change that. That's why we see the collapse and change in corporate America and other companies, Fortune 500, we don't have to look at any further. And so many plethora of issues that are setting up lack of, of that leadership accountability. And, and that's obviously get us into trouble. And then that give us the pass that we will tolerate this because we are not reacting and acting fast enough. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. And I think that, you know, part of what the diaspora has been challenged with is uh, fragmentation, right? I, I think that I've, I've mentioned that word a couple of times. Our efforts in the diaspora aren't consolidated enough to achieve true economies of scale. And I think in part and parcel is because, well, the truth of the matter is, is that this is a government level problem, right? This is this big of a problem really does need the influence of Western governments to get solved. But we could be helping the situation more, I think, in the diaspora if we were more um, consolidated and more under a single umbrella so that, you know, some one small group of people could look out and understand all of the resources available and say, okay, this is how as a diaspora we can be the most effective. So I think that's another sort of takeaway from, from this process for me. That is so powerful. I mean, all of us have opportunity to learn and grow, but now again, as we know more, we can do better and we can do absolutely more effectively. I can't agree with you. And we're actually tackling this little bit together by collaboration and coming together and not doing too much of overlap and duplication, but also finding ways because Obviously, it's it's not working and it's not the most effective way, but yet uh, we have a chance. So anybody that desire want to make a difference, have a skill, 
guess what? Ukrainian Community Center in LA is open to hear it. Uh, and with Larissa that is spearheading many, many initiatives. But do you mind sharing a little bit the times during the peace? What was center all about? And what types of events used to have in its versus what you're having today? Yeah, so the Ukrainian Culture Center was opened back in the early 60s, I believe, when the building was purchased. I think the 501c3 was put together a little bit earlier than that. But, you know, once the building uh, was purchased, people in the community volunteered their time to remodel the center, to get it up and running. And its primary purpose has been the dissemination of information about Ukraine. And they would do that through holding various events throughout the year, celebrating a Ukrainian poet or a Ukrainian Christmas, or um, having the Ukrainian school children come and perform. The Ukrainian dance group, Chervana Kalina, would also perform. So it was really sort of an events-based organization uh, where we just wanted to have a place to make sure that we were keeping Ukrainian language and culture alive, and that we were sharing that with the LA community for anybody who was interested. And as with all things, it's important to contextualize it. You have to understand that when Ukrainians came to America, after World War II, Americans didn't even know what Ukraine was. A common response at the time, if somebody asked you, well, what nationality are you? And you would say, I'm Ukrainian. People in America would say with regularity, oh, that's just like Russia. That's Russia, right? Which, of course, led to a very long conversation <laughs> and a lot of education about Ukrainian history and, and what Ukraine is and uh, what Russia is and more importantly, what Russia is not. And so uh, the center existed really to make sure that we preserved the uniqueness and, 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 be, and were able to share the education about Ukraine and what it is. So that was the original purpose. Uh, the way that we keep the center up and running is by renting it out to people in the community where uh, it's located. So that's sort of the financial underpinning of the organization. And now uh, it's a little bit different. Uh, as of the end of February, we, uh, we've had to pivot a little bit. And uh, for example, we were on a conference call, a board meeting on February 24th, when when the war broke out and all of a sudden I was in the middle of saying something and people started dropping off our Zoom call uh, and then dropped into the chat, bombs are flying, bombs are flying, we have to go. So that was the end of that board meeting. And we had also been discussing on March 6th, having a, a celebration of a famous poet's life. His name is Taras Shevchenko. Well, that March 6th event very quickly became our solidarity event with Ukraine. And uh, it was the first time I think that the center had, it was beyond capacity filled. People were out into the street and we had television cameras all up and down the side wall of the hall. And we had 17 representatives of the council's general from Europe come and some of them spoke as well. And it was an event that really, really kind of gelled together our LA community's perspective on the importance of Ukraine's independence and territorial integrity. And since that 
March 6th moment, we have been toggling between continuing to rent out the center, right? Because we're still climbing out of the financial mess that COVID created. We couldn't rent the facility for, you know, 18 months or something. So we continue to rent out the center, but now we balance it with every fundraising event that we can possibly support. Wow. Such as the one coming up on July 10th with Ukraine Now. That is amazing. And thank you for sharing. And, and it's so beautiful that you have such a strong cultural presence and understanding, obviously, how it's important way before even this war broke off and now more than ever and everything that you do. And, and we're super thrilled to see this uh, springboarding of collaboration and opportunities for Ukrainian NGOs coming together as well as diaspora, as well as all of you globally uh, to join us in our efforts because nothing can speak more than opportunity that we missed and we declined to act. Or we are too late to do something about it because it's over, people are gone or, or, or some major tragic event occurred. So again, I wanna urge everyone to check. Uh, and Larissa, where they can find you, where they can engage, where they can donate, where they can uh, volunteer and support your efforts. Yeah, well, we have an online presence at ukrainianculturecenterla.com. There you have the opportunity to donate to our nonprofit foundation. So it's a tax exempt donation that you can make. Uh, we can also be found on Facebook and on Instagram. And, you know, we, we have an opportunity on the website to sign up for our uh, mailing list. So if you sign up for the mailing list, you'll hear about all of the upcoming fundraising opportunities that we have. That is absolutely brilliant. And Larissa, with everything you've been through and everything you shared, this is a great episode. And, and again, deep gratitude for, for carving the time insanely busy schedule during busy season, your regular work, volunteering for center. By the way, she volunteers your time and hours. Mm -hmm. And on top of running family and household and then contributing in times of the war. Could you just tell us in a closing message for everyone watching and listening? How Absolutely. I've, I've, I've gathered, you know, several, I'm starting to gather several thoughts around the things that I've learned. And I think that I would start with, um, if you are in a crisis, which we've been in for 112 days, uh, it's really important that the people who are around you and are working with you are high trust individuals. And I have to tell you, Isabella, my team at the Ukrainian Culture Center and the board of directors is absolutely amazing. And everybody brings something unique to the table. So when I'm presented with a problem, I have the opportunity to scan the skill sets of 10 individuals who are also volunteers and say, okay, I think that this problem fits most naturally with this person's ability to solve this problem. And these are people who, if I text at 10 o'clock at night, at six o'clock in the morning, or if I call, I always get an answer. Nobody goes dark. Nobody disappears. We are all rowing in the same direction. So the gift of that has been 
indispensable. Without the team at the Ukrainian Culture Center, I would be absolutely nowhere. But I think the other thing that I've noticed is that there are gifts that come your way through this process, and it's important to pay attention to them and to recognize them. So I had the experience early on in this journey of doing nothing but talking to the press for like the first three weeks, something I've never been trained for. Television, radio, print, um, it was crazy. And I said, okay, I'm just going to go with this. But then after a while, I kind of felt like, well, why, why am I doing all this talking? You know, this isn't really, I'm not getting anything out of this. I could not have been more wrong. I was so wrong. What that did by getting the word out there and by putting myself front and center, um, it, it, people heard my name and resources came my way. And so I started answering the phone from unknown phone numbers. And it's somebody who would call to say, I heard you on NPR, I have this skill set, or I heard you on ABC News, I'm flying to Romania tomorrow and I have some empty suitcases, what do you want me to bring? I had an investor call me through because of my meetings with Congressman Correa, who said, I have apartments available. Let me help you with displaced people. I mean, the list of gifts that have come my way are, I can't even count them all. You included, look what, look at the work we're about to go do together on July 10th, right? So, so I think that, I think kind of just plugging away and plugging away was worth it because like you say, it's starting to rain. And we're starting to have some early wins, you know, with the fundraisers that we've had. Uh, we partnered with an organization called Hope to Ukraine for a large fundraiser in Bel Air. And that raised tremendous amount of money to send medical kits to Ukraine. And with some of that money, we were able to immediately react to an emergency situation. The Russians have started using chemical weapons and we had one of our soldiers come under a phosphorus attack and by being able to wire money over there very quickly, we saved his life. Wow. We recently sent over, with the money we've raised, we sent over 100 incubators for premature babies. So in the war-torn regions of Kharkiv, Mykolaiv, Kherson, all of where the bombs are falling, mothers who are pregnant are giving birth prematurely. And um, a scientist up at Stanford invented a portable incubator that looks like a little sleeping bag and there's a wax-like substance in between the layers that heats up from the mother's body temperature mm. so we're literally keeping premature babies mm. alive and saving the next generation of ukrainian patriots i mean the the list of and so so you get tired sometimes and you do all this work sometimes but then all these gifts come out of nowhere and you do, you do ultimately, after all of the hard work, start to get some gratification, like you are making a difference. You just, you gotta keep going, you gotta keep going, you have to keep going. And so the thing that I would leave all of your listeners with is keep talking about this, keep calling your congressman, keep asking questions of our government. What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? If you have contacts in Europe, have them pressure the European governments. All of this has to keep happening because soon enough, if we don't, Putin will absolutely be on Poland's doorstep. 
Wow. Wow, wow. Dear Lisa, it's unbelievable. Again, as you, as you said, what is possible, but it's also what we're against, uh, right? And what we need to do uh, to join the forces and continue. And one event, it's not enough. So you guys are going to hear so much more and everything that is happening. Uh, but key is, if you guys think that is already being so much given and done, and, and you're just not going to necessarily see your impact, you are wrong, as Larissa is saying. So please take action. Check their website. Take action to do. Check others, uh, as I will be listing more and more in months to come, and do something that you can live, and also lead your legacy. Not wait to leave it, but you can live it and lead with it right now. Dear Alyssa, it was an absolute pleasure to have you and we look forward to have you back and share more down the road and hopefully with a much different outcome. And you have something to announce. You're having a big event happening uh, in August. I know it's not what we're expecting because it's supposed to be the event of celebration. But might we hope we might be able to see the glimpse of that, but we're still gonna gather. And what that is, please. So uh, we will be celebrating and commemorating more than anything, not, it's not a party, but it is a commemoration of the 31st year of Ukrainian independence. It'll be taking place at the Ukrainian Culture Center in Los Angeles on August 21st. Fantastic. And so all of you in LA are willing to come, please pay attention, help us out to make that happen and also make us outcome different with your help and support that actually we can turn things in celebration. Okay. Thank you so much. And great to have you with us. Thanks again, Isabel. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers.